0: Hey out there rock and rollers, and welcome to the 32nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here, just off Abbey Road in Central London. And I am back in the UK after a brief stint in the USA, and I gotta tell you, I loved my time back in my home country. It was great, great to see family. Get to see a couple of friends, get to see Jackson and make the reunion episode. And I hope you check out episode number 31 because that was a lot of fun for us to do. First time we'd ever been able to do the show live in each other's presence instead of over the internet. And it was great. I didn't really get to spend as much time in my hometown as Louisville as I would have liked. would have liked to have seen more friends while I was there. But I had to take care of some business and it was just great to be in America and remember you know, what I love about America most, which is freedom, food, and space. Of course, you have a lot of space in the hinterlands of England, but in London, eh, it's a little bit like New York City. There's not a lot of space to go around, and after you've been trapped inside for a year and a half almost thanks to COVID, it was nice just to get outside and have a little bit of room to breathe again. It also got me thinking about collaborations between artists from the UK and the USA, and Fleetwood Mac came to mind. Maybe we could do a show, maybe a two-part show on the Peter Green bluesy years, and then the years with Lindsey Buckingham and the ladies in it. The one that struck me as legendary was the collaboration between Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes. Of course, Ozzy is the legendary lead singer from Black Sabbath, was on all their albums throughout the 70s. At the end of the 70s, they broke up, and then Ozzy went out to become a solo star, really due to the help of Sharon Arden, who became Sharon Osbourne, his wife and manager for for all these many years. And the thing that made his debut album so special, The Blizzard of Oz, was a young American guitar player named Randy Rhodes. Randy had been in Quiet Riot before Quiet Riot became big with Metal Health in 1983. He was in the band and they released a couple albums in Japan only in the late 70s. He auditioned for Ozzy, they got to be friends and they wrote together all the songs for Blizzard of Oz and the follow-up Diary of a Madman. And his tone and technique displayed on Blizzard of Oz blew away everything that came before it. It had this crisp, clear California thing, not just the hard, heavy grunge that we were used to with heavy metal, and it really changed the way Heavy metal sounded and was perceived going forward. Of course, Randy Rhoads didn't live very long. He died in a plane crash that was really unnecessary, just someone goofing off, when he was only 25 years old. But he recently was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I see is fantastic. He's deserved it for so long. He really did make an impression and change the game in the world of heavy metal. But heavy metal's so ignored and overlooked and really kind of looked down upon by the people who do the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame selections that it surprised me. But on the strength of Blizzard of Oz, it should be obvious to anyone the talent of Randy Rhodes, merging him with Ozzy Osbourne to make this incredible rock sound that still sounds fresh today. So we're going to take an in-depth look at Blizzard of Oz. Now, if you want to subscribe, you can go to Amazon, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also go to www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and check out all of our past episodes or subscribe and check us out on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at Action Jack 72. So come with me and Jackson on opposite coasts once again but appreciating the merge of great talent from both these great countries from the UK and from the USA which created Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes here on The Wolf. Yeah, so 1980, Blizzard of Oz comes out after Ozzy is kicked out of Black Sabbath, basically, which is kind of amazing. It's not like he was the only one who was drunk and and doing cocaine. (laughs) He was just the one who couldn't really keep it together and couldn't do much of anything in the studio, was unreliable on the road. So they had to kick him out. They made Bill do it, Bill Ward, the drummer who was his best friend in the group. But fortunately, it was one of those rare and odd times that when a band and a singer split up, you get two amazing new bands or two amazing albums out of it. And really, we kind of got four, because they did Blizzard of Oz here, and then they did Dire of a Man-Man the next year, whereas Black Sabbath picks up Ronnie James Dio. They do Heaven and Hell, which is an amazing classic, and then they do Mob Rules the next year. Whereas usually, it's like the band gets to keep the name, and they get another singer who's kind of close, or maybe the singer was all the talent, and people kind of go follow that, you know, and I'm, it's kind of like later in the 80s, softer music, obviously, but you know, Peter Cetera leaves and Chicago stays together. And Peter had some hits, but you know, eh, they weren't really great Chicago hits. They were kind of adult contemporary cheese hits. And Chicago's. I'd say their chart success was over. They were still viable as a touring act, and still are to this day. But you know, they were all, neither were really quite the same afterwards. Where it seems like Ozzy's profile went way up, thanks to Blizzard Voss, and thanks to Randy Rhodes and his virtuosa guitar playing. And Black Sabbath had a huge comeback with Heaven and Hell. It, it didn't sell as well as Blizzard of Oz, but it gave them the chance to tour big again and go in a new direction.
2: And the interesting thing for me is that I, I went back and listened to a lot of Never Say Die, which was the last Black Sabbath record mm-hmm. with Ozzy, and it's not. It's it's just kind of all over the place. It wanders around. It's just it's it. To me, it's almost like they had to make a record, so they just said, "Okay, here here is this kind of." Mishmash pile of stuff. So it's interesting because Bill Ward, in in our earlier uh, episode when we were talking about uh, the Ronnie James Dio years, mm-hmm. said he was really sad because the band was breaking up. He wished they could stay all together. But to your point, it really got a lot better for everybody once they disband Once once they went their separate ways and kind of got refocused. And I know that one of the big deal, one of the big things Ozzy says about Randy was he really sat down and taught him how to write songs where they never did in Black Sabbath. Apparently they just yelled at him and, you know, according to Ozzy and just said, do this. And Rhodes just said, "Okay, we're gonna sit down. We're gonna, mm-hmm. you know, here's here's how you put all the th- tracks together. Here's how you here's how you score music. So yeah, it really turned out to be two great deals. You know, kind of you were talking about the bands that go their separate ways and don't get two quality products. Van Halen and David Lee Roth. Let's be real honest about that. Roth was those records were they may have had some tracks that were on the radio, but they weren't stellar albums."
0: that's right although I mean I think the fans a lot of the fans went with Dave and he did have mm-hmm. Billy Sheehan and Steve Vai on his record absolutely so it's like, he has this amazing talent on his record it's the MTV era so he puts out the videos you know and, and he gets a lot of attention but is anybody listening to those now whereas do people still listen to 5150 I do you know or oh yeah, you went 812 eight yeah those are great records you know they, they fit in great so yeah usually when there's a split one goes up and one goes down or kind of sideways maybe but, but this was a Little bit different, and it's shocking just when you think about the state that Ozzy Osbourne was in. I mean, look, Ozzy, from what I can tell, all the shows, all the interviews, all the stuff I've seen, Ozzy's a pretty sweet guy. He's not a bad person, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He has certainly made some bad decisions, but I credit all of his success as a solo artist to Sharon Arden, now Sharon Osborne. Okay, the daughter of Don Arden, who managed all sorts of bands, including Black Sabbath, who found Ozzy drunk and wasted in a hotel above the Sunset Strip, but cleaned him up and figured I can make something out of him. He still has viability and got him together and got him a band to make this record. And, you know, who pushed him from there? Who pushed him out on tour? Who pushed him to make the reality TV show? You know, it's all been Sharon all this time, she is someone who gets stuff done. She is a tough woman and apparently her her dad, Don, was a real tough guy who actually had a hit out on her at one point. I don't know if that was over the way she was taking Ozzy away from him because Ozzy was under his management uh, or what was going on but the fact of the matter is uh, Sharon Arden Osborne is the reason for Ozzy's success.
2: Correct. Yeah, absolutely. She she recognized kind of a diamond in the rough. Not that he, not that Ozzy didn't have success with Black Sabbath, but knowing that he he had something in him as this as this charismatic frontman, but yeah, needed that push. Because I think, yeah, he just, he couldn't get out of his own way. And that's what he was saying when he got kicked out of Black Sabbath. He was just despondent and didn't know what to do. So yeah, he needed that one-two punch of Sharon pushing him out there, making him do it. And then Randy making him a better musician to put this, to put these albums out. And you're right, to this day, both Blizzard of Oz and Dive of a Madman still sound pretty fresh. There was a pretty cool video I saw of Ozzy and Jack Osbourne going to wherever the original Master tape is is uh, stored uh-huh. and listening to Crazy Train unmixed on un- anything just the raw recording. And to hear Randy play on that, and he had a couple it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the it was one of the, the, the other takes that he had. And it, so there was some other stuff in there, mm-hmm. but it still sounded, I mean, if you didn't know what it was, it still sounded pretty fresh today, where a lot of stuff back then, you're like, oh, that's, Ew, that's 80s. It's just, it sounds fantastic.
0: I agree. And like I was saying, if you go back and listen to Randy's contributions on Quiet Riot, the first album released in Japan, and I think 77, and then Quiet Riot 2, which came out the next year in 78, you would see little glimpses or little, you know, some little fret behaviors like, ooh, there's a little something there. But, but... He wasn't developed as a songwriter yet, and he's working with Kevin Dubrow, who was, you know, just the champion of inane, sophomore, cliched lyrics. And he hadn't even grown up. Like, you know, this is like six... Five, six, seven years before they even make Metal health, right? So you know he, he was, it was really kind of bad. I'm like I'm like, there's some good guitar work in here. Once in a while, you might hear a good riff, but the songs just weren't there yet. And I think the rhythm section was was not nearly up to par, like it eventually would be when Rudy Sarzo and Frankie Benali
2: were in the band. Yeah, and, and it, who knows? I mean, I don't know whether they. It, it could have been the fact that Randy was younger. Like you mm-hmm. said, Tubraw maybe he said, "This is what's going to happen." But yeah, once you let him off the chain, it's, it's he changed the game. And and I think that he he is like Eddie Van Halen. He's very good at gassing and breaking. Mm -hmm. Like he's got stuff that's very accessible, and then he's got the stuff that will belt your face off. You know, like if you want to say if you want to start from the beginning here, I, I think that he definitely was a game changer, a lot like Eddie Van Halen, but not in the same vein, I guess. Like he was he was more on the classical side, and you can really kind of tell that when you listen to this album. But I was looking at the sales on this deal. Mm-hmm. Blizzard of only sold four million copies, which sounds ridiculous to me when I look at this track listing. I know, uh, compared to the first Van Halen record, which draw, which I think had sold over ten. So it's it's really kind of a shame to me that he was on this record. That's more of a. It's got a lot of big tracks on it, but it's more of like kind of like a niche album. It never really hit big for like mainstream like Van Halen did. I think if you listen to this, it's it, you're right. He is a virtuoso. It's it's a tragic to me that he died so young. And then you would think like what, what what would he have done after that? I know Ozzy said that probably he wouldn't be in the band anymore. It wouldn't be like a Steve Stevens thing where they'd been together. But he probably would have done more classical stuff. Right. But I think he probably still would have been with Ozzy at least writing songs.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, it's hard to tell. From what I've read is that you know he was serious. He was talking to people about going to UCLA and getting that classical guitar. PhD or some kind of degree in that and I think he was sick of Ozzy's nonsense I mean him being wasted they had to cancel shows you know he would not be ready to perform up to 10 minutes ready you know before and someone would have to coax him Sharon or Randy or someone have to get his ears like look we have to give the fans what they want you know I know you're hungover I know you were up for four straight days drinking and snorting but we gotta give this show you know so yeah he said Randy probably would have left and that Randy probably would have left after the diary of the man man tour he may have still been under contract for one more album after that and one more tour but once that was over he he was probably going to get out here's the thing they made the record, okay, Ozzy was making the record in England, and, okay. and for a while, Frankie Benally, who would be in Quiet Riot, was there. Bob Daisley, who had been in Rainbow, was, uh, was, the ba- was the bass player, and co-wrote all the songs with him and Randy. And then eventually, Frankie was out, and they got Lee Kerslake in to be the drummer who had been in Uriah Heep, and I, I believe Lee passed away last year 2020. He was in our Year in Rock yeah. uh, number two show. And, and so then they they had the band. So he was doing it in England. He came over to America to kind of interview or try out some guitar players. And, you know, a friend of Randy's coaxed him into going. So he went and he, you know, did his thing. And then Ozzy's like, you're hired, mate. You got the gig. But it wasn't like he sang with them. Ozzy was in the control room loaded. Randy was in the recording room. He's like, okay, Thanks. And then, you know, of course, then Ozzy went back to England, so they tried some stuff out, and then eventually, he's like, you know what, there's this kid in America who's really awesome, who I heard play. We should get him over. And I think Daisley was like, no, man, let's keep it kind of the same way Bill Ward was like, as soon as we don't have four Englishmen, it's not the same anymore. He's like, let's get four Englishmen in here, you know, because it's not the same. We bring some American, especially some kid who we don't even know. Let's not do it. But but Ozzy said, yeah, we're going to do it. So they fly him over here. They don't have the pay Paperwork, like the work permit to get him in. Someone from Jet Records is supposed to go down to the airport to sort it out. They don't go. So they ship Randy back to America. Then Ozzy has to apologize and say, okay, I promise we'll get it worked out this time. They fly him all the way back to England from California again. Uh, and this time he gets to get out and he lives with Ozzy and his first wife. He and Sharon may have had a little bit of a thing going, but he was still living in England with his first wife and his, and his first two kids. A- anyway, so he's living lived with him lived with his wife and and then yeah they wrote all these amazing songs together you know and they you know they're saying this music is dead heavy metal is dead black sabbath is over this isn't going to go anywhere and yet they they made this incredible album that really showed off Randy's extraordinary guitar playing and brought Ozzy really back from the dead.
2: Yeah, and I think that if he he was kind of in a tough spot at this time because you're right the this the heavy metal music was over. Black Sabbath was the shell of what it was. So really, he didn't have any kind of heat going into this. Like, oh, I can't wait for the new record from you know Ozzy Osbourne. It was like, oh, he's gonna put one out. Okay, well we'll see. So you're right the the virtuoso of Randy Rhodes really pushing this thing with the riffs and then writing songs that Ozzy could sing and we've talked about this before it, he's not he's got a very distinctive voice but he does he's not a great vocalist it, he mm. has to sing songs in his wheelhouse and these are all in his wheelhouse to really to really let him shine and showcase what he could do.
0: Yeah, and then live, he really gets into it, right? He gets on the stage, he's clapping his hands, he's running around, he's biting the heads off of rubber bats, or even real ones if you throw one on stage, I suppose. Oops. Uh, Yeah, Uh, and so, yeah, there's something going on live. But think about the music scene. By 1980, Black Sabbath had broken up, got a new singer. Aerosmith was breaking up. You know, they were going away. Led Zeppelin, John Bonham died... they put out in through the outdoor which really wasn't very heavy anymore you know Deep Purple had broken up all the heavy hitter super hard rockers we were gone. There was this new wave of British heavy metal kind of coming in, but that was kind of a proto-punk thing. It really hadn't quite developed yet into what it was going to be with the Iron Maidens and the Saxons and the Judas Priests and those kind of people. So there was kind of a void. And then to hear, here's the thing, it's crisp and clear. It's not kind of that doom grunge thing that Black Sabbath had, right? So yeah. that's, that's that kind of California thing that Randy brought along with the vocals of Ozzy.
2: Right, in and it's also the well documented story that you know Iomi got his fingers cut off or the tops of his fingers cut off and so he had to tune it down so he could feel it and that was the Black Sabbath sound that kind of I mean, to this day it's still in all of the records but you're right this was high octane this was Chris I mean you can when you hear him play especially on on some of the solos it's almost like you can hear every single note and it's sharp Mm -hmm. and it's it's, punching at you but you were talking about the music scene and I I was listening to something and they were talking about Gary Newman's Cars Mm -hmm. here in my car that came out in 1980 and they were Saying when when they heard that and then and that that was the new oh you know here's the synths here's the this is the new genre yeah so to have this come out and be a success was kind of counter to what was happening it was almost like it was holding it wait 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 give us another chance here don't go all the way with synthesizer music because there is some of it on here. But it fits.
0: Well, yeah, that's right. Don Airy, who has played with absolutely every hard rock and heavy metal act, it seems, over the years, and is currently in Deep Purple and has been for a long time now. But if you look at who he's played with, Gary Morazzi, Osborne, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Jethro Tull, Whitesnake, Saxon, Wishbone Ash, Steve Vai, Thin Lizzy, Brian May, Rainbow, Andrew Lloyd Webber, I mean, that's because he can really, really play. And obviously, it's something like Mr. Crowley, where they have that ominous keyboard, you know, almost an organ uh, at the beginning yeah. of it. It really kind of sets the tone, but it also kind of shows what's going to be coming after out of L.A., like, you know, the Rats of the World or the, the, the revamped Quiet Riot with Carlos Cavazo. Um, or even to some degree Motley
2: Crue. Yeah, all all of the... Randy definitely issued in the the California sound. (laughs) Starting from the top with I Don't Know. Like I said before, it starts... A little slow then it then it kicks into overdrive and i'm actually kind of glad they didn't start with crazy train only because i i think that this might have been a little bit kind of gotten lost in there so it was a good way to start the album off a little long i mean five minutes and 16 seconds i know they do play it on the on the radio i think they might cut it down a little bit but it's a it's a great way to start the record
0: yeah, I mean it's and it's not exactly slow, but it's crisp and clear. It's not like you can hear every time he's hitting strings on there. And then yeah, just a little bit of face melting—not not maybe his most face meltable song—but it's a little taste like here's what we got. Here's a little something that maybe you haven't heard except for on an Eddie Van Halen kind of
2: record, right?
0: And I agree with you. Great way to open the album. Not Crazy Train. Leave that for you know. Leave that alone.
2: So then, then you get into Crazy Train, and one of the one of the biggest riffs, or one of the most iconic riffs, probably that he ever did. That that's the signature song to you know. It, and it starts off with Ozzy's vocals, you know, and and the whatever that is, like the snake rattle or whatever. So you know what this thing is. And then when he comes in on the on the main riff, mm-hmm. it's fantastic.
0: It's fantastic. And you know, here's the thing. This came out in 1980, 81. So we're seven, eight years old. You know, we didn't know this song at, at that time. You know, no. I I might have known, I could maybe recognize a DG song on the radio when I was seven or eight or something. I'm, but I mean, A, my parents probably weren't going to play a, a radio station that played this song because classic rock couldn't play this at the time. You would have to go to a it would probably be in a bigger market like New York. There would certainly be a station or two that played it, but in the Midwest, you know, it wouldn't be something that they played probably until like late at night or something like that.
2: Yeah, and then here's here's where you get into the problem. With uh, I know Ozzy sold records and he's made a lot of money, but this way back in the early '80s. Ozzy Osbourne equaled the devil. So that's why, I mean, so yeah, to your point, my parents were never going to let me anywhere near this home. Like, you might as well just, I might as well just kick you out of the house as an eight-year-old. You can't do this. So I think think while he he did well to kind of craft this image for himself, it kind of did hurt him on the album sales side. Because he doesn't, like in this one, like there's really nothing odd in the lyrics. Right. But it's just the whole image was something that you couldn't really sell mainstream.
0: Right, right. And especially like in the South or in the Bible Belt, like, it, oh yes. They're burning his records. Of course, they had to buy Correct. him to burn them, so I'm sure he doesn't mind that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember when I discovered the song "Crazy Train," I was in high school, so yeah. maybe ten years after it came out, something like that. And that's when I was really into Eddie Van Halen and, and guitar hero worship. And I'm like, "Wow, this is an amazing song! I gotta, I, I gotta get this record." So when I got Blizzard of Oz, and then I heard Mr. Crowley for the first time, I was like, "Whoa, is that, is that Randy Rhodes? That's amazing! What he is doing." You know, now apparently it went up some kind of a rock. It, It didn't do well on the kind of top 100. I think it did okay on one of the rock charts or something like that, but they didn't make a video for it back in the day. They didn't make a video for Crazy Train until they made Tribute, which was like five or six years after Randy died. And I remember Ozzy with his spiked up hair standing on some train tracks in black and white while they spliced in footage and pictures of Randy for the video. But they never made a video back in the day. Now, you know, it, it comes out in in England. It came out in the fall of 1980. In America, it came out the spring of a- Eighty-one, and MTV didn't debut till August of eighty-one. So you know it's a small record label. Maybe they, you know, they don't have the money to make videos. I get it, but it's it's odd that they didn't make a video for Crazy Train or Mr. Crowley. Uh, it, it is a little bit to me.
2: It, it, yeah, and I think it probably came down to money, and it came down to I think at that point in time, it just. Mainstream music, MTV was not ready for this. They, they there was this was before Headbangers Ball. Mm-hmm. This was before any kind of specialized programming. And I think there were a lot of people uh, like uh, I don't I don't know if the the PMRC was around at that point in time, but definitely people like that who would have just flipped out if this was all if they'd seen Ozzy Osbourne on TV. So they, it could have been a whole mix of stuff that led to them just saying, or or they could have just said, you know what, this really isn't going anywhere. MTV, this is silly. We're not going to get on this, get in business with this, but you're right. I don't, looking back on it, I don't know why they wouldn't have done
0: that. And I also learned in doing research for this, the lyrics are dealing with the subject of the Cold War and the fear of annihilation that was so big in the seventies and eighties that we still felt, you know, when we were growing up, it makes sense now that they say that, but I I never knew that, you know, growing up or or hearing it, I do remember that in the late eighties, they put out a single that was studio crazy train on one side and live Crazy train on the other, and they had it at the pizza hut near my school because once you were a junior you could or a senior you could sign out and go to lunch you didn't have to eat school lunch you could sign out and get your own lunch and nice. Every Friday, me and my buddies would go to the Pizza Hut. You get a $5 personal pan pizza, and then you get a drink for another 99 cents or something like that with free refills. You hear that, England? Free refills. And then, you know, whatever quarters we would have, we pop it in the jukebox. Studio live, studio live. The servers who worked at the Pizza Hut hated to see us come through the door because oh, they knew they were going to get 45 minutes of crazy training. <laughs> because it didn't
2: break in there and take it out.
0: I know, but the the thing is, it's really had a second life, because I feel like we weren't the only ones who were too young to get it in the early 80s, and by the time we were in high school, you know, a lot of other kids picked it up or became familiar with it, and I think the single has sold 4 million copies in America alone, but I think only 2 million happened, like, in the early 80s, and all the rest have been steady kind of ever since because it's a big stadium rocker, you know, it's like your, your team's coming out of the huddle, you know, after a timeout, they might play a little crazy train, right? You know, something like that. It's in the public conscious. It's been in movies and stuff like that. It wasn't 40 years ago, but, you know, it's kind of like, I think it, it was Henrik Ibsen who said iconoclasts eventually just become icons themselves. And that's mm-hmm. certainly the case for Ozzy Osbourne.
2: Know, yeah, and, and it's one of those songs where, it, you're right, it's it's in car commercials now and stuff, but if you, if you are a fan of hard rock music... You can't not like this track. There's nothing where you're like, well, but this is, I mean, it's awesome. It, once it's it starts cool, you kind of, the bridge gets into it. The solo's fantastic. The, you're right. The lyrics, they're, you can sing along to it, but they're a little nebulous. Like, you know, oh, you know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, I met this girl and she was cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it, it's a really cool song and it's just, it's just easy enough that you could kind of get into that now okay I can play this on the guitar you can't play the rest of it but at least that part is accessible the one thing that I don't like and, and this is just my own personal pet peeve on this there are two guitar tracks and if you listen if I listen hard enough I can tell he overdubbed or he multi-tracked it which I mean more uh, more Randy Rhodes is never a bad thing it's just that yeah I, I like it one guitar to one one person to one track but I think it really is pretty cool, and, and I like to listen to the two different parts put on top of each other on this one.
0: Well, I, I I agree with you, man. But, you know, like you say, if you want to create some, as long as it's not a live track, I don't really have a, a, that hard of a time with tracking. You know, you've got one guitar player in the band, you want to keep the rhythm part going underneath while you lay the solo on top of it. That doesn't bother me so much. But the solo is out of this world. I never it's... dreamed of playing, except for maybe, and, and I think even more than Eruption by Van Halen, this was the solo that I dreamed or fantasized about playing in front of people because the way it builds and it's unbelievably, you have to be unbelievably adept to hit hit all that and it keeps building, building. Then it's like an explosion at the end and it's right back to that killer riff. I'm like,
2: wow, that is heavy. The thing is, even even when he's really going fast you can it's, it's like you can hear every single note he's playing he doesn't he's very precise and, and the other thing was he was a tiny little dude to, to see him I mean you know how big a Les Paul is mm-hmm. and it, it, to see him play it and have these little uh, smaller hands to get uh, everywhere on that neck is just insane but it's just crystal clear it's not muddy it's not mm-hmm. he doesn't slop around on that thing it's you know very very precise so you're right I think that it can go toe to toe with a
0: any day, yeah. I mean, uh, I think they listed him at five foot seven, one hundred and five pounds when he joined the band. Wow. Sharon even said, "I thought he was a woman in drag." It's like, who is this <laughs> tiny little person coming in here thinking they can play the guitar? But when he plugged in, his talent was obvious. You know, All right there, you go. Obvious. You can't I- ignore it. So it's, I always thought
2: it was. I always thought it was interesting too on the on the cover of the tribute album. It's it's Ozzy holding Randy Rhodes up, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Wow, Ozzy must have been he must have been a big dude could lift this other guy." No, no, Randy was tiny. Yeah, he was,
0: Ozzy's kind he of an child. average sized dude, yeah, no. average to smaller. Randy's a tiny little dude, or he was. God love him. So, yeah. So, all right. So they made that together, obviously. Maybe it went up the charts, but it's it's more important than by like, getting up on the charts as far as the value to our society and in the ethos of rock. It is an anthem that has stood the test of time, no matter what the sales are, whatever any chart says. Who cares? Yeah, Gary Newman's Cars probably outsold it in 1980. Right. Great. You know, how many, are you playing that at the Super Bowl or are you playing Crazy Train?
2: Yeah. And, and do you listen to Cars as like, a, I really love this track? Or is it like, oh yeah, this is like textbook synth music. More like, a, like an example than something you really want to listen to. No, in 2021, as we're recording this, I will listen to Crazy Train probably today multiple times now. After this, and just say this thing. This is just awesome. Indeed.
0: Now there was a B side. You looking at me, looking at you. All right. Which uh, you know I had never heard. I, I never, there's two B sides. There's one to this and and one to Mister. Crowley, you said it all, which I'd never heard before. Uh, And so I wanted to listen to them for this show. You looking at me, you looking at you, not a great song, kind of a B-side. It did have some nice lead guitar work in it. I I thought the riff was just kind of okay. It 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 definitely feels like a little bit of a B-side, but it fit with the time. It's it's. It could have gone, like, if, they, if CDs were the prevalent thing and they had to have 14, 12 tracks on it, something like that, this could have fit in with it fine, but I, I think it makes a good B-side. Apparently, No Bone Movies was supposed to be the B-side because No Bone Movies is about talk about having no pornos on the bus um and obviously that's good B-side material but I guess they needed it for the record so they chose you looking at me looking at you instead
2: and then you go from uh from that to Goodbye to Romance real hard left turn uh, game changer it's first, yeah, tracks. yeah it's, it's a this is a I, I don't know if the lyrics are all that great but it's a they showcase Randy on the on the acoustic guitar so again now this is kind of more in his wheelhouse mm-hmm. uh, from the from the classic uh, upbringing I guess that he had and he was a music teacher too like he I think his family had a school uh, where you could go and take lessons right how awesome would have that been yeah like, like his his, his, his
0: dad from... split on him and his siblings when he was a kid so uh-huh. his mother opened up a music school Musonia I think was the way you pronounce that Mus- okay. Musonia and yeah and he learned and he learned to play the piano and he learned to play the guitar and he saw the older kid. He his mom brought some guy in to teach him guitar and then eventually the guy's like I, I can't teach him anything else he already knows more than I do you know <laughs> and then eventually as a teenager he said they did something special so he could graduate from school early like when he was 16 or something like that so then he could teach music full-time with his mom and then also be able to gig out and stuff like that in some of the early bands that he had in the in the early 70s so incredibly talented man not just a guitar player but a musician
2: and yeah, Goodbye to Romance is a good way to kind of come down off of Crazy Train. If you, I think if you went into another one that was like that, it, uh, I'm tired. I need a break. Okay, here's a little here's a little ballad. Mm. It kind of showcases Ozzy's vocal range a little bit more. It's not the straight ahead, you know, singing to the lyrics. Uh, so it's not. It's I mean, it's it's not a. Signature Ozzy Osbourne, Well, I mean it is, but it's not like the the heavy metal version, right? A little slower, so it is kind of a cool change of pace.
0: And it's a time for you know you can pull out your lighters and hold them yep. up, not your cell phones, me... but your lighters. You hold <laughs> up, you know, and and it's not it, so it's 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 a little bit like changes from his Black Sabbath days, only it's not so <laughs> ominous. It's it's a little, even though it's kind of slow and sad it's still kind of upbeat even though you're saying goodbye to romance and it's kind of saying bye-bye to black sabbath it's yeah. still like saying hey you know we'll meet in the end it's still all mm-hmm. going to be okay so let's just kind of go our separate ways and and do our thing you know so over 5 minutes but yeah like you say gives randy a chance to show off his nylon chops
2: right and then and then into d which is only not even a minute long. That's kind of, that's a cool you know, showcase for him, which I I would like to listen to just in just by itself, not even on the record. It's, it's a cool, it's just a cool piece of music that he wrote.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not even a minute long, I guess on tribute, they have a longer, like a more four and a half minute kind of version. Yeah. Uh, and D is his mother, Dolores, you know, who he dedicated to him, who made his life possible, you know, not only raised him, but taught him music and, and gave him the chance to blossom as a musician. So It's a nice tribute to her, for sure. I assume that she is no longer with us. Otherwise, she would probably be at his induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, I I don't think so. I think he's got a a brother and a sister, I think, that are still around. But yeah, I think his mother has passed on.
0: Um, So nice nice tribute for her. And then you finish up side one. And I had the CD. I never had the tape. But many, many people had the LP or the cassette. You finish with Suicide Solution, which is a controversial song for a couple of reasons.
2: Right, 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 right. Even though apparently it's i mean if, when you listen to it it to me it's pretty clear i mean he i know he'd get in trouble because oh you're telling people to kill yourself no i'm saying wine is fine but whiskey's quicker suicide is slow with liquor you're killing yourself by doing this mm-hmm. so it's it, but but even before that that riff is killer i love that riff on this thing so much it is it, it's good <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a little heavier it's not as light as saying I don't know or even a crazy train yeah Um, it's it's a little more tuned down and like All right, here's the power cord in your face thing. And yes, he wrote it about Bon Scott, how alcohol is a solution, just like salt water is a solution, (laughs) you know, just like orange juice is a solution, a liquid, not a way to solve a problem, but a liquid that you will kill yourself with. And a young man who is going through some hard times, I'm sure, as many teenagers do, Apparently was listening to this song and thought it would be a good idea to take his own life. You know, it's it's kind of similar to the whole Judas Priest thing, the thing they went through in the 80s when the two yeah. kids made a suicide pact and shot themselves over Better By You, Better Than Me. Uh-huh. And they had to go to court over it and all that kind of stuff and and look you know obviously those kids losing their lives is horrible and, and that's tragic depression is a is something that people talk a lot more about now and hopefully kids get a lot more help with but there's there's no way that kid kid himself because he heard this song he had a lot of other no. stuff going on and this was just part of the uh the background i would say well
2: and i think i think it, it, again with ozzy the image that he had cultivated it was just easy to pin that on him you want oh well you know Know, there was nothing wrong with the kid. He heard this song, and that made him do it. It makes you feel better right. to, to think about that, but that's not the case at all, and, and you're right. That was something that it, even today is a little bit like, Ugh. but back then, yeah, no one talked about that, so it really is sad with that guy and the, the two Judas Priests Kids who to think that you that you had gotten that far and couldn't talk to anybody mm-hmm. is it, sad, but no, it, it, it this had nothing to do with that. He was just a scapegoat. True,
0: true, but it it stains the song. I mean, every time I hear the song, that's in the back of my head somewhere. You know, even though I'm like, oh, there's a killer riff, Mm-mm. and then I sing the lyrics, "Suicide is slow with lick," and I'm like, yeah, some kid did commit suicide. <coughs> You move to the right. next song, and this is where it gets great for me, Mr. Crowley, as he says it. I think you're actually supposed to call it Crowley, maybe? Alistair no. Crowley? But no, it's to, Crowley. But, but Ozzie says Crowley. Crowley. Ozzie <laughs> says Crowley, it's Crowley. It's immortalized now. Of course, Alistair Crowley was a grade-A weirdo, magician, oddball. Um, occultist. Yeah, occultist. And Jimmy Page famously bought his estate, back when he had the Led Zeppelin money to do so, and he was exploring some of the odd things in the world, too. Um, but so, yeah, this is kind of a tribute to, to Mr. Crowley, and, again, it's got that killer Don Airy keyboard stuff on it. And, you know, this is a bit of a coming out for metal keyboarders because, like, Jeff Nichols played in Black Sabbath for years, but off to the side of the stage. Like, they wouldn't let you see him. You know, they would they would kind of pump it through, or like... Ronnie James Dio solo had Jeff Nichols, I think, as well. It's like one day, Jeff, you're gonna be on stage, but right now, we just need you off to the side. Thanks. But this gave you know, Ari, a place out front, and you can incorporate a little keyboard into heavy metal. And then I call it both the solos because there's a solo kind of in the solo spot, and there's also kind of the outro solo, if you will, for Mr. Crowley for Randy. And they're both incredible, incredibly precise, incredibly melodic.
2: Well, even before you get to that like you, there's that there's the beginning where it's that there's the keyboard you know bum, 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 whoosh, and right. then it kind of builds and then stops and then ozzy goes into mr crowd and then mm. randy comes in banana. not super not hard but it's, or, or it's not difficult, but it's awesome. And yeah, it's just, it's just a great way. Cause you know, it's coming to you are like, Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So yeah, it, this is a, it's a great song. And yeah, the solos in it are fantastic. I think that, I mean, the problem with a record like this is you've got so many great tracks. Does it get lost in there? It's on the second side. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the big single, but yeah, it's, it's, it really is a great track.
0: And it did. I mean, look, it sold like half a million copies. Uh, the mm-hmm. single, which is great, because you say, okay, well, look, the record itself only sold four million, but that's in America. Now it's over five million. Plus, you put in almost five million singles. That's yeah. like ten million units. Plus everything from around the world. You're probably talking another, you know, four or five million units or something like that. So, fifteen million units from a heavy metal record to a for a guy that they thought he would be dead any minute now. <laughs> is pretty impressive. And this is yeah. the first song on side two, so it, it kicks it off, you know, kind of the right way. It's like, okay, we, we took some uh there was a little slowdown, you know, back on the on the first side, but now we're back at it again with a really another epic. And I mean, to this day you have to play Mr. Crowley. Yes.
2: Yeah, I think that it, it, it's it's just as important as the rest of the tracks on here, the big ones. And I think that it's um, it, it, it definitely is the powerhouse on the second side of this deal. And, and it, it's it's funny because you I think of you know you think of Blizzard of Oz okay Crazy Train, and then you as you as I went back through this, I'm like, wow, this is a really and here's another one, and here's, here's another me. one, and here's another track. Yeah, it's it really is a. I, I love going back through these things to listen to all of these again and really kind of listen to it not just. I mean, you would listen to it because you want to, but you listen to it like to really hear different parts of it and appreciate it a lot more.
0: I agree with you, man. I mean, every time we do one of these shows and we go in depth on a record, you know, I listen to it all the way through a, a at least twice, usually three or four times during the week, because I want to get it all in there. Or at least I won't necessarily listen to the hits three or four times, but the album tracks, the deep tracks, I will. The stuff that I don't listen to as much or I don't hear on the radio as much, because those are the ones I'm just less familiar with and I want to bone up on for the show. And then you said it all. The the B-side is, again, one that I'd never heard before. And again, you know, it's it's a B-side. It kind of fits in with the rest of it. In some ways, it's better... Then you looking at you looking at me, but uh, you know again it, it fits in with the rest of the stuff, and you know should be included on the deluxe edition, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, and then from there you go into the rest of the the rest of this side too. There there were no more singles on here, but I mean I think it I think it finishes up pretty strong. I mean you know you mentioned No Bone Movies is a uh, shout out to the entertainment choices on Bus, right. which. Uh,
0: they had to ban, probably. I guess, at some point, you know, had to change it. But it's got a nice little, it's got a nice yeah. little Randy riff in it. It's got some good work in it. It's only four minutes, so it's not the longest one. And it's 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 funny once you know what it's about, you know. It's yeah. it's, it's worth a laugh, right? Now the one, and, and it just turns out that Lee like that's the only song he got any kind of a writing credit on the album. Okay. Yeah. Because all the rest were Daisley, Rhodes, and Osborne, with the exception of D. Which is Randy's song on his own, but Kerslake gets the credit on No Bone movies.
2: But yeah, and then you, yeah, and it's you know it's three minutes and fifty eight seconds long. It's it's kind of a fun little not a throwaway but a little add on there to, uh, it, to like you said, especially when you realize what. Was meant by that lyric. It's just a fun little wink, you know. Exactly. I know what the inside joke is. But
0: the change and the one that I really kind of got into was Revelation or Mother Earth, the eighth song, because it's like, oh yeah, I remember this. And it's a slow song. It's again, it starts with Randy on nylon and Ozzy kind of lamenting, you know, through his vocals. But I kind of forgot that at the end, it heats up. And then there's some sick, sick Randy guitar work on here that I had wholly forgotten about. Either because by that time... I, you know I'm like, okay, I'm at the end of the record. I'm not listening anymore. i'm I'm doing something else that has me not focusing on what I'm hearing. There's some great
1: stuff on that song,
2: yeah, um, it, it, and unfortunately, on this one, six minutes and nine seconds, this was not going to get played on the radio. To me, it sounds more like Randy had adapted classical music. It definitely it was a hard it sounds to me like harder classical music. Uh, especially on the solo.
0: I think you're right about that. You know, it, again, that's what I was like discovering. I'm like, this is Randy Rhodes kind of at its best. He gets to do his acoustic nylon thing throughout most of the song then it makes the change he's back onto his polka dot guitar he's cranking out some riffs but then the fretwork, the finger work on the solo parts it it is very classical and it is you are using scales and things like that right which you didn't hear in hard rock very much at that point it's kind of his signature and so this is really to me the uh, the uncovered gem even though I've heard it before it's been there all along this is the one I have a greater appreciation for after listening for the show
2: yeah i I really did enjoy this track probably the most i mean like you said do i listen do i need to listen to crazy train for the show no No, i know i I could you know (laughs) it's standing still i could tell you about that but that really is cool when you like you said you've heard it before but i mean now you can go back and really appreciate it wow i see what they're doing on this this is a great track Eh, i don't know if i've never heard on the radio before but i mean it's few and far between but yeah like you said an uncovered gem on this record and then
0: I think steal away the night is a great way to wrap up the record I feel like sometimes I heard this on the radio you know because it's only three and a half minutes long it's kind of radio friendly it's got the good riff in it steal away it's kind of got that nice melody to it great song it could have been a single even though it wasn't and i think it's a great way to to wrap up the record
2: yeah i I agree i do like that when they kind of they purposely put something like that like you said it could have been a single and you could have put it anywhere on the record but to put it at the end it's it's not just a throwaway track it's 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 light it's poppy It, it doesn't really it doesn't really sound like it's, it's not as as kind of ominous as some of the other songs so it is it, it is a good way to end up yeah and,
0: and then that's that's the record that's Blizzard of Oz which we've listened to front and back over the years now there was a two, there was a, a reissue I guess oh boy a re-release <laughs> and it threw you looking at me looking at you in there but it featured because I guess Daisley and Kerslake at some point had vocalized some displeasure with their take on the record how much royalties they get and so it was decided, and I know who decided it, I know by whom it was decided, that Mike Borden of Faith No More fame, who was in Ozzy's band in the late 90s and early 2000s, and Robert Trujillo, who has now been in Metallica, is actually the longest tenured bassist in the history of Metallica, if you can believe that, but he was in Ozzy's band at the time, so they re-recorded it with Mike and Robert doing the rhythm section. And, and Sharon came out and said, oh, no, it was Ozzy's idea. And I said, bull sh-. An artist would never mess with his greatest accomplishment. That's not something they do. That's, I'm the manager, and I want to screw someone else before they screw me. So I'm going to screw those guys, Daisley and Kerslake, and give the young guys a chance and pay them, you know, lunch and a case of beer for doing it, right?
2: Well, it's, it's she's not the manager, She's the boss. Yeah. The boss tell yeah. I mean, and that's that's well documented. And unfortunately for, for the Ozzy Osbourne legacy, this is not the first time this is gonna happen. Right. There's there's gonna be many musicians who have been kind of crushed under the wheels of the of the Sharon slash Ozzy train. I know pretty famously Jakey Lee, who was mm-hmm. gonna come on for the next two records, has Lots of stories to tell about how you know he just he thought one thing was going to happen, then it turned out it was something else, and it always comes down to yeah royalties, how much or, or payment at least for this deal. So I, yeah, I know that was a big deal when that came out because I don't know of oh, the reissue anyway because I don't know whether. It wasn't very well publicized. You know, here's the reissue. Mm -hmm. Wait, what is this note on the back? What is going on here? It was re record What? This isn't the same thing.
0: Yeah, they eventually had to put a sticker out because the fan outrage was like, this isn't the same thing. It's not like you just cleaned it up you changed it. And you can't just change it. That's bullshit. You can't do that. And and even on the next album, Diary of a Madman, it was the same lineup. But I guess Daisley and Curtis got sideways with Sharon. So she brought in Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldrich. So even though basically those original guys made the record, Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldrich... Their pictures and names are on the album, even though they didn't really play on it, right? So that's just a taste of it. Yeah, and I've heard Jakey Lee say, dude, I wrote Bark at the Moon. I came to the sessions with Bark at the Moon, and all songs are written by Ozzy Osbourne. But he admitted on Eddie Trunk, he's like, look, I'm scared of Sharon. I don't want to mess with her. What I would really like is I don't want the royalties, but I would like a reissue where it says Bark of the Moon written by Jakey e. Lee. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, A, you're not going to get the royalties, so it's it's cute that you don't want them. But B, you're not going to get the credit either. That's never, ever good. Even if Sharon died and Ozzy says, yes, Jake wrote that song, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change. And right. she she's just got too much of her father in her to screw over everybody who isn't her. And Ozzy's just lucky that that she's on his side. Is the way I look at it.
2: Correct. Yeah, because he could he could have, or his life could have uh, ended up very differently had it not been for her. And yes, yeah, she is she tough. She is ruthless as a business person. But she gets, I mean, she's made him very, very successful and kept the Ozzy Osbourne brand going for all these years. I mean, do you think that he came up with OzFest? I bet he didn't. No,
0: no. Ozzy Ozzy can barely conjure himself out of bed in the morning. He's not going to conjure up a a tour. It was funny because I was waiting for the A&E Kiss documentary to come on, and before it was on, there was an Ozzy documentary. And it was basically talking about how, Ozzy's not hip enough to be on Lollapalooza. They told her, you know, Ozzy's not hip enough to be on these tours. She's like, screw you. We'll make OzFest. And I went to an OzFest. I got to tell you, it was really cool. Now, it was when he was back in Black Sabbath and Black Sabbath were headlining. And it was when he could not do back-to-back shows. He could not do shows on back-to-back nights, even though they schedule a lot of them. So Iron Maiden, who was second under Black Sabbath, would fill in. Instead of doing like an hour, they would do like an hour and a half or something like that. Because oh, okay. they're headliners in their own right, you know. So I still, to this day, have never seen the original Black Sabbath. That was going to be it. In 2003 or five. I can't remember exactly when it was. But it was another time I got to see Iron Maiden just kill it and, and be awesome. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, the next album, Diary of a Madman, Over the Mountain, Flying High Again, you can't kill rock and roll. This had some great Randy stuff on it. I don't think it was quite what Blizzard of Oz was. Definitely had some good stuff on it, but it didn't kind of capture my imagination the way Blizzard of Oz did.
2: The one for me that I that I I, w- I would agree with you and I think a lot of times these records kind of get mashed together in people's recollection of them. I really like The Solo and Over the Mountain. I think that's one of the best ones he ever did. But you're right. This one is the this one is the is the, the kind of the top of the mountain, the showcase, mm-hmm. and, and it could be too. Like you were saying before, nobody had really heard Randy Rhodes play like this before. Where the next one comes out, like you're kind of expecting it from him. But this was like the, the this was this was the fresh new style and fresh new sound that came out. Whereas kind of, I think I think Blizzard was kind of just a continuation of this.
0: Yeah, you can kind of call it part two. I mean, it was recorded fairly quickly. After they released it and then toured on it. But it sold well again, and mm-hmm. Diary of the Madman just fits in with the theme of Ozzy is this crazy wackadoo who's gonna come mm-hmm. to your town and bite the head off bats and cows and everything else, you know. Steal your children. Yes. Yeah, you know. Remember when Ozzy bit the head off that cow and all that milk started coming out of his neck? You know? <laughs> the legend was a lot greater than the man, right? Even though he did snort ants with Motley Crue and he did urinate on the Alamo. All these things are true. All these Aussie stories are true. There's no doubt about it. It's not because he's evil. It's because he's not that bright. Uh, He's an alcoholic. And uh, if, if Sharon isn't watching him like a babysitter, you can't just leave him to his own devices. It just doesn't work
2: out for anybody. Yes, that is the thing. It's not that it's not that he's insane. It's just, yeah, you're right. He's just loaded a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. He thinks, you know. Wow, this is a pretty good idea. Sure. Let's do this.
0: So then, of course, the tragedy in Leesburg, Florida, where they had to stop for the night next to a little airfield. Their bus driver, who was a licensed pilot, but had apparently crashed stuff before, decided he would take some of the people up. And I guess he took Don Airy and maybe even Tommy Aldridge up on a flight. And they kind of okay. buzzed over the you know, the bus. Then they landed. Then he said, okay, look, I'm not going to buzz the bus anymore. I'm just going to go up. And Rachel, who was like makeup artist, wardrobe artist, and a very close friend of Sharon's, said, okay, I'll go up. And Randy wanted to get some pictures, some overhead pictures for his mother to kind of show her, you know, what they are up to and all that. He's like, because he didn't really like to fly. So he's like, no, 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 I won't buzz and do crazy stuff. We'll just go up there and, and take a look over. So Randy's like, cool, I'll grab my camera. I'll go. He tried to get Rudy to go with him. Rudy was tired. He's like, no, I, I want to sleep. Wow. Yeah, Rudy's like, no, I want to sleep. I'll, I'll go on the next one. Don't bother me. And then, of course, they buzzed it two times on the third one. The wheel, or it was the wing actually, clips the bus, it careens into a house, and, and everybody died. So, Rachel, the, the pilot, and Randy Rhodes died for no good reason. I mean, for no good reason at all. It's one thing when, like, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens and, and Buddy Holly—they died. Look, it was the only flight out that night. It was snowing, and then the plane crashed. Or Leonard Skinner—it was a bad plane. It hit bad weather, and it crashed. This guy was just jerking off. This guy was just, oh, look at what I can do, you know? And he killed this talent. And honestly, man, over the years, a lot of people have asked me, if you could bring back one rock star from the dead, you can bring anybody back from the dead? And most people will say, Jimi Hendrix or John Lennon, or, you know, whoever they may like the best. I always say Randy Rhodes, because he was only 25 years old. He was taking care of himself. He had this bright future. Whereas if you bring back Jimi Hendrix, yeah, his death was an accident. It was an accident that could've happened a week before. It was an accident that could've happened a month later. You bring back Jim Morrison, he's gonna drink himself to death the next day. That's a waste of time. I get the John Lennon thing, but he was 40. He had already made most all of his best music. To me, Randy was somebody who was just snuffed out way too young. Unnecessarily, for no good reason.
2: Yeah, I remember I had a conversation with my wife one time about, I don't, I don't know what we were talking about. I think we, it, an Aussie song had come on the on the radio, and I was lamenting about Randy Rhodes being dead. And, and so my wife was like, "Oh, would he die like a drug overdose? No, it was a stupid plane crash, like a, a stupid, useless." no fault of his own, just like you said, a guy jerking around trying to show off and he's gone. And yeah, it snuffed out right when he was starting to really get going and yeah, what would he have done? I don't know. I don't know. Would he, would he have continued in heavy metal? Would he, have, would he have done more classical music? Would he have done like scores for movies Mm -hmm. who knows i don't know but he he definitely was somebody who could have done all of those things and it just never got the chance to so you're right somebody like a morrison if you brought him back he probably would have done something else to himself or hendrix yeah, they, this is somebody who, who had a lot more to give or a lot more to show the world.
0: I, I agree. I agree. And of course, eventually they put out the live album, the tribute, the Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes tribute, where they do live stuff from their albums together and they did some old Black Sabbath stuff, which had to had to still be in Ozzy set at that point. And I was happy when it came out and, and, you know, have listened to it a lot. But it it just kind of underscores the fact that Randy's gone and there's nothing more out there. There, There's, you know, like I said, those old Quiet Riot records are just not that good. The songs aren't that good. The playing other than Randy is just not that good. And, And that's not a sin, you know. People need a couple albums to kind of figure out how to do what they're eventually going to do, but there's there's just nothing out there. I'm really amazed and happy and proud that he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I hope yeah, that yeah. opens up some more hard rock and heavy metal acts and players to get in like a Ronnie James Dio. But uh, I, I am surprised just because of the way heavy metal gets treated that eventually they did that.
2: And I think it's cool because having that, I, I know people complain back and forth about the the Hall of Fame and is it really that big of a deal, and blah, but but it, it brings more exposure. And I think if him going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame can say, hey, you know, what what's this guy all about? What's it, what, what did he do? I mean I kind of heard the name if they can go back and listen to these records and get an appreciation I think that's pretty cool and that serves the purpose and you're right maybe it will open the door to other people there's nothing There's nothing better than hearing Eddie Trunk rant about all the people that aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame it's fantastic he gets worked up but yeah if that opens the door that would be pretty cool also
0: Classic record always will be it's unbelievable that Ozzy's still alive it's unbelievable that all four <laughs> original members of Black Sabbath are still alive who would have guessed that that's unbelievable
2: that's that's a, a, a strong constitution they've got because you're right they've really tried hard to fear <laughs> to that bus into the ditch Yeah,
0: I bought this killer book called uh, the Encyclopedia of Heavy Metal. It's kind of an oversized coffee table kind of book with a with a lot of amazing pictures and things like that. And they have it. They have all the, the big bands from over the years. And then underneath their name, they have these 10 different little icons, you know, so if they were hard drinkers, you know, there's a there's a bottle there. You know, if they were known for doing drugs, there's a needle there. And if they had a bombastic stage show, there might be like fireworks or, or a bomb or something on there, you know? It's like, and if you talked about satanic stuff, there's a pentagram. And if you talked about wizardry or the occult, there's like a wizard hat and that kind of thing. 10 different things that all the different metal bands might have. And Black Sabbath had nine of the 10. The only one they didn't have was was the tombstone, the RIP, because again, all four members are still alive. Now, Ronnie James Dio isn't, but but this was made before he died. And he wasn't obviously an original member of band. I think the most anyone else had was like five or something like that. Nice. Um, Black Sabbath really set the stage and obviously Ozzy was a part of that by the time they got to Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die. While there are a few good songs in there, you're right in your assessment earlier that it's a little all over the place. You can kind of tell that everybody's not all there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They, they they had gotten to the point where they I think that the whole deal was they had kinda of gotten tired of each other, they had gotten tired of the whole they maybe it, it, I had gotten tired of Ozzy being kind of the star of the show. And he was kind of a mess, unprofessional, unpredictable as he would be for the rest of his career. And they just, yeah, we don't, we don't need this anymore. Yeah. You know, and they've
0: had management problems and it's like, now we're with Don Arden. Like, what are we going to do now? We can't go on with him like this. We just can't, they tried it. You know, it's like, we're kicking him out. It's like, no, no, we still got a tour. right. right, let's get him on the tour. Let's get him on the never say die. And we'll do that. And then, nope you know and i think they even tried like children of the sea they tried it with Ozzy you know which came out on heaven and hell and was a great song with Ronnie James Dio they tried it with him and like no okay. this this still it's just it's not working he's just in no condition to do this this is over and so it ended so the fact that Sharon scraped him off the floor of a Sunset Strip motel and turned him into one of the biggest heavy metal acts, certainly a solo act in yeah. the world, who then on became you know America's darling with his own reality TV show and gets to go to the White House correspondence Dinner and everything else—it's—it's it's nothing short of a miracle.
2: Yeah, and really become a household name for a guy who, it, like we were talking about at the beginning. If you had anything to do with Ozzy Osbourne as a kid, you know, like you had his records. Oh, well, you know, you're going, you're going to hell. This is he's the, he is the, the devil incarn. No, he's not. He's just a goofy dude from England that right. you know is a father and a husband. And yeah, he he puts on a show for you. But yeah, to to have that second chance at a career again with the reality TV show, with Black Sabbath getting back together, with Ozfest, it, it it's it's an outcome that never should have happened. Like you said, in 1980. Or 81 when he's in a hotel room just, you know, drinking cheap whiskey and Mm -hmm. trying to kill himself.
0: Yeah, all due to Sharon, but it was all built on the strength, I think, of Blizzard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Because of Blizzard of Oz, it gave him the opportunity to be a big hit throughout the 80s, to do the Jakey Lee albums like Ultimate Sin and Bark at the Moon, to eventually do No More Tears, which was a huge Seller for him once he got cleaned up, right. um, you know, he's like, okay, I need to stop with the booze and the alcohol, at least for a while, which he did, you know, did a big tour. And then, yeah, did a reality TV show, got together with Black Sabbath, which we didn't think would happen. You know, those OzFests were very Big for the metal culture, you know, and, and help spawn more stuff in Europe as well. So Ozzy's just a huge part of pop culture now. You can't deny that. And yes, it's because of Sharon, but it's it's all based on what they did, what he did with Randy in Blizzard of Oz.
2: Yeah, the, the strength of the tracks and, and the longevity of the record that you could still listen to today and enjoy as a piece of music.
0: Well, that's our take on Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz from 1980. Featuring the young and ultimately talented Randy Rhodes on lead guitar that really changed the course of Ozzy's career and the course of heavy metal throughout the 80s in America and around the world, spawning the big hit Crazy Train, which I don't know if you've been living under a rock or something like that, but if you have, you should really check out that song. Because it's amazing. It has amazing guitar work in it, and it's just a classic heavy metal hard rock hit. I was fortunate enough to see Ozzy play. He's not in amazing shape anymore the last 20 years, I would say he's been phoning it in, he's been working hard, I just don't think that he physically has the ability to really deliver. He always has an amazing band. The band always sounds killer, but Ozzy himself is a little diminished, and I know he's been trying hard, despite injuries, despite Parkinson's, to get out there and finish this one last tour. So I wish him Godspeed, and hopefully he will. Now, I know there's a lot of fans out there who know many details of Ozzy's life and career, so as usual, we gotta ask you, do we get something right, do we get something wrong, do we miss the point? You have to let us know. You have to tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72, and next week, we're going to go in-depth on a legendary guitar god, Eric Clapton. In the late 80s, he released a box set called Crossroads, which captured all of his hits from all the bands he was in over the years. The Yardbirds, John Mayall's Blues Breakers, Cream, Blind Faith, the solo stuff, Delaney and Bonnie, everything that he had done, at least all the big hits, in a four-CD set. And it really changed my life being able to hear all that stuff in one place, being able to explore all all that great music from 1963 up until what was present day in the late 80s. So we'll get into that. And if you guys want to check out all of our past episodes, well, you can download and subscribe anywhere you get them. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere you want. You can also go to www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.LibSyn.com and give us a shout or check out all our past stuff. So until next week, all you rock and rollers all over the world, be cool and stay safe.